The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Sabrina and Angie with Queen's Park Observer. Matt Gurney, journalist, co-founder of The Line, which is an online magazine. John Burnside, Toronto City Councillor, is here. And uh, for walks, today is going to be like Christmas because both question periods in Ottawa and Queen's Park should be fairly riveting. Matt Gurney, I'll start with you because you're a bit of an internationalist. Um, Just how much of a gaffe is this common speaker business? I mean, it completely distracts from everything Volodymyr Zelensky uh, brought to the table. And instead, we're looking at this 98-year-old former Nazi. I honestly think, and this is going to sound like I'm being funny, but I mean this completely sincerely, I think this is the stupidest gaffe I can remember in Canadian political history. And I choose that word very carefully. I'm not saying it's the most serious because, you know, governments get things wrong sometimes and people die or families are destroyed or businesses fail. This isn't that. But just in terms of the sheer stupidity where we're going from having what is the intended purpose of the event, we screw something up and we end up accomplishing almost the exact opposite. I cannot imagine a more ridiculous mortifying incident from any time within my living political memory here. I know that it's been explained that this was the speaker. I know that many liberal cabinet ministers were tweeting into the late hours of the night explaining how this isn't our fault. Don't blame us here. But it doesn't matter. We just invited a guy whose country is under siege by an invading army that says they are there to defeat Nazis and we put him in a room with a literal Nazi and everybody got up on their feet and gave him a huge standing ovation. You cannot make this better. This is probably the dumbest moment in our politics that I can remember. Although, Sabrina Nanji, I suspect it's an error that was made by a bunch of young people who never reflected for a moment about what side the Ukrainians were on. It was just good enough that they were fighting the Russians. And then maybe they forgot that the Russians were allies during the Second World War. (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty, like like a diplomatic way of, of putting it. I think You're, I'm with Matt though, you know, this is a major self own for our country. I mean, and talk about salt in the wounds that this is happening on Yom Kippur, like pretty much the most important Jewish holiday. I definitely think the speaker wears this, but it's not him alone. Like you're right. Who was vetting these people? It's a major state visit. I'm not really surprised that, that, that Pierre Polyev is trying to pin this on Justin Trudeau. Politicians are going to politic, but I'm not really buying Trudeau's office's line where they basically throw the speaker under the bus and say that the PMO was totally clueless. Like, that's even worse to me. A major state visit. You should know everyone who's coming in, especially, I mean, at the very least for security reasons. And this is just another embarrassing blunder on the international stage, especially after what happened in India. Okay, John Burnside, is it enough that the speaker should just you know, offer his own head on a platter today? Well, yeah, and his head has to go. Um, at the end of the day, if he were just a regular MP, MPs make mistakes, uh, those sorts of things, but he is entrusted to do a job, which is to vet people properly, and he didn't. Um, you know, I would say about this 98-year-old war veteran, what a terrible human being he is for going in the first place. I mean, yes, uh, for all of his um, war uh, sins and efforts um, as a Nazi, but also to come and, and on such an important day for Canada, more important for Ukraine, to come and get the accolades of the entire house. I mean, that's on him too, and I think uh, we've sort of given him a free pass on that one. 
I mentioned, of course, Queens Park back today. Everyone's putting on their long pants and heading back to the office. And Sabrina and Angie, it is going to be fireworks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has been a tumultuous summer for the Ford government. So if that's in any indication, we're in for a wild ride. Uh, you know, question period kicks off around 1030 a.m. It's going to be the first time that opposition critics will get to, you know, face the Ford government and hammer them uh, after a, a summer of scandals. Uh, you know, I think doing this stunning 180 on the green belt and and changing their mind on that i really don't think that's going to be enough here um don't forget the rcmp is still sniffing around we've got a bunch of unanswered questions uh thanks to the integrity commissioner's reports including over illegal lobbying by mr x that the chief pc's chief fundraiser tony mielli was selling tickets to the premier's daughter stag and doe like there's so much to still dig into here and get answers on um and meanwhile you know the ford government they've just had a summer where they lost two by-elections, three ministers, um, had this amazing, you know, stunning flip-flop on the green belt, uh, you know, which, which they have done in the past. So you can definitely expect them to try and shift the narrative from what the opposition is going to say, which is that this is a government in turmoil. And they're going to be talking a lot about housing and transit and cost of living, which issues that, you know, generally speaking, the public still tends to trust this government on. But will it be enough? I mean, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, John Burnside, the opposition understands is going to try and get a pound of flesh. But at the same time, I imagine whoever answers their questions, and it probably will be a few times the premier, they're going to say, okay, you got what you wanted. Let's move on. Yeah, and I think, uh, well, you and I actually talked a few weeks ago, and I was of the opinion it had to come to this. And um, I think now the premier's taken the wind out of the opposition sales to an extent because people have a very short attention span but i still think this is the biggest unforced error of a governing party since john snowblin wanted to create that crisis in in uh, education uh, you know kathleen Wynne and the gas plants that was a forced error every every party made the same promise uh, so she had to she had to do it but in this one it was just like I'm still scratching my head. Maybe it was arrogance because nothing was sticking to the government. They just got reelected. But uh, I'm still scratching my head on this one. Okay. Last word on this file, Matt Gurney. Yeah, I think I got to agree with the council there. Like it was politically suicidal, and it was probably arrogance. Yeah, arrogance perhaps mixed in with a dash of greed and complacency. But watching the premier walk it all back on Thursday, and you know, uh, Sabrina said it was stunning, and I understand that. But to me, it was almost—I I, got to go the opposite direction. It was inevitable. This is something where we have seen the Ford government get itself into these problems before, and. And the pattern is always very similar. You know, they they refuse to give an inch in the opening of any scandal where they actually would have the political capital and the room to maneuver and a little bit of credibility left where they could try to come up with a defensible position. Instead, they double down and then tri triple down and then quadruple down. And then I don't even know the words we would use after that, but they just keep doing it. This, to me, felt inevitable, and it felt, uh, top to bottom, like the almost prototypical Doug Ford screw up where it was entirely his own fault. It could have been handled quickly and efficiently, but instead out of either stubbornness or just a complete unbelievably interesting lack of political talent and acumen, the premier ends up getting himself into a situation where instead of apologizing up front and going, well, yeah, you know what? It's important we build some homes, but we didn't get the process right. So we're going to bring an independent review or something like that. He ends up as like Sabrina already ran through the butcher's list. We're down three cabinet ministers, a chief of staff, a, uh, a senior housing 
official, and now we've got the RCMP investigating this. This is just the way Doug Ford works, and he's never going to change. Interesting profile in the Toronto Star of Young Dundas Square, so delightfully named. Uh, and apparently, it uh, is struggling to attract people, and I'll start with the city councillor on this one. It's costing us a considerable amount of money. Well, and there are the... Uh unwritten costs of tourism, people not wanting to go there. Um, you know, when I got re-elected in, in November, I was talking to some uh, reporters, uh, camera people, and they referred to Young Dundas Square as uh, Dante's Inferno, <laughs> the journey into hell. And actually, Tuesday, Tuesday, I went on a ride-along with 52 Division, and uh, one of the first calls we got was a person with a knife at Young Dundas Square. And they can say, let's do new seating, let's do shade, let's do all these, this animation. At the end of the day, you have Young Street, which is uh, is just a horrible mess. Money marts, uh, pot shops. I mean, the best the best uh, uh, place on the strip is the Zanzibar, and that's you know telling you um, the state of Young Street. <laughs> and then you have the safe injection site about a hundred, about fifty meters away. I know that's closing. And then you have the the um, the hotel for the supportive hotel, a bond square. So you have all these. I'll say, I don't like to say it, but I will say it. These negative influences, people just don't want to go there. You're not going there. I'm not going there. And I don't think new seating is going to change that. Yeah, Matt Gurney, I mean, I I don't even walk through it, let alone, you know, I would never think of going there as a destination and grabbing a seat. There's, well, there's nothing to do. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I, I can take the counselor's point. I mean, all the random stabbings and, and shouting has certainly sort of taken some of the shine off uh, a lot of uh, parts of Toronto these days. We seem to be heading in the wrong track on kind of that macro level. But even on a beautiful day with no crazy people with machetes running around, no bizarre <laughs> religious preaching, like we're, we're kind of thinking of the theoretical optimal here. What the hell do you do at Young Dundas Square? Like you show up, you look around, you bask in the glow of the neon lights for, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, and then you're out of things to do. Like, you have you have completed Young Dundas Square, especially because there are interesting things to do, like the Eaton Center, like 15 feet away. Like, if I'm there and I'm bored and I'm looking for something to do, I have an interesting attraction full of different shops, venues, food, or I have a gigantic outdoor space that is empty. It's supposed to be our Times Square, but when you go to Times Square... It is full of interesting stuff. We replicated like the physical form of it, but we forgot all the stuff that actually makes it interesting. And uh, Sabrina and Angie, yeah, a friend of mine actually just calls it the public bidet. I mean, there is nothing to do there. And one of the big problems that's in this particular profile in the Star is, yes, they have a performance space, but nobody wants to use it because nobody wants to go and watch a show at Young Dundas Square. Yeah, I think uh, the last time I had seen a show there was over a decade ago, and it was Iggy Pop, which was actually really cool. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, no, these days, I'm. you're right, I'm not even passing by, I'm avoiding it like the plague, but I just don't know what the solution is here either. Like, I, I'm, we're all kind of on the same page. Um, I do think it should be a usable space, especially because it, it is costing the city, but I'm just not sure. It feels like it's too far gone, and we know that the way things work at City Hall, I'm not really sure if we could get something nice that everyone can agree to and anytime soon. And not a lot of time on the clock, but uh, Matt Gurney, your quick thoughts on Shuppers Drug Mart expanding its network of for-profit health clinics. I'm a bit squishy on this, but if it takes pressure off of emergency rooms, you know, so people can be seen with earaches, then I'm, I'm not going to protest. 
Yeah, it is a rational response to our failing public health care system, and anyone who wants to complain about it but it does not have a plan to fix the health care system, I just don't listen to them. John Burnside? Well, yeah, and I agree. I have a, I get every year uh, annually, I get a, a list from my doctor who's amazing, but with all the extra costs I have to pay if I want like a prescription over the phone and those sorts of things. So I pay an annual fee. Um, every, everyone seems to look the other way about that, but heaven forbid, Loblaws and Choppers uh, operate uh, this sort of thing. Thanks to y'all. Great talk, Sabrina Nanji, John Burnside, and Matt Gurney. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.